Hey, it's good to see everybody this, uh, this day, beautiful day outside. Good to see you here in this space. Good to see you online. You know, I tell you, it's been six weeks since I got to be on this platform and preach. And so when you go six weeks, you don't forget how to do it. You just get amped up about doing it. Uh, so while the last series was taking place, uh, while I was participating in that with you on the weekend, during the week, I am working on the next series. And so it's kind of like I get to have this preview of what's coming next. It's kind of like the next movie preview. You can't wait to see that next film that's going to come out. And so that's how I've been feeling about this series. I'm really pumped, really excited. Probably have more stuff than I can talk about in the next 24 minutes, but I'm going to see what I can do. So let me jump right into it. Is Back in 1991, I met a guy named Nick the Tuna Man. Uh, that wasn't his name when I met him. He was just Nick the Plumber. Uh, but he told me about a homeless ministry that he had started, and he told me how he had been homeless for a few years of his life, or earlier in his life. And I was fascinated by his story and wanted him to share more with me. And he said, I'll tell you more, but you have to come with me. And so I went, all right. So I agreed on a date. I showed up at his house, and we went in early on a morning, making, uh, opening up uh, uh, hundreds of cans, uh, dozens of cans of tuna fish, just like this, laying out loaves of bread all over his dining room table, and mixing together his tuna recipe, and then scooping it out onto sandwiches. You have no idea the smell of dozens of tuna cans being opened at the same time as sandwiches are made, put into bags. We put them into backpacks and, and, and grocery bags, loaded them up into his van, drove into the city, and then began walking around. He took me to places where he used to live, underneath bridges. We met people. He introduced me to them by name, and we handed out sandwiches, two and three and four, and they would be stuffed into pockets and kept for later in the day or the week. I was so fascinated, so excited about meeting Nick that I wanted to introduce him to my youth group. And so he came on a Sunday evening and he spoke to our students and shared with them about homelessness in Philadelphia. And then he talked about why he made tuna sandwiches every week. He said, hey, Jesus fed people with a few loaves and fish, so I'm going to do the same thing. And then he also shared that his special recipe uh, kept sandwiches safer longer. He added ketchup to them. He, it was, it was, I'm sorry, Nick, if you're watching, I don't think you are, but if you are, it was gross. One of the requirements was after he mixed it all up, you had to try it because he was convinced it was the best tuna possible. Someone in our youth group, I think, may have named him Nick the Tuna Man, or it was some of his homeless friends, but I'm not sure. Somehow he went from Nick the Plumber to Nick the Tuna Man. So at the end of that youth group talk, I got up in front of our students. There's about 30 students there, and I challenged them with this challenge. I said, I want you each to bring one can of tuna every week for a month. And if there's 30 of us here in that room, in this room, we can have 100 cans of tuna to donate to Nick. I can't read this next story that we're going to read from the Bible without thinking about Nick, who I met 30 years ago. It's from Mark chapter 6, and it says, Late in the afternoon, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, 
came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. So send the crowds away so that they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. So the disciples noticed something. It's really a very practical observation. They noticed that people are hungry. They've been gathered there, lots and lots of people, 5,000 men plus women and children, so lots and lots of people, and they're not near a place for food, and it's getting late. So they want the problem to be Jesus' problem. See, they see the problem, but they don't want to take responsibility. So they say, hey, Jesus, there's these people, and they, uh, there's a problem. They're hungry. And they come with a solution. They say, Jesus, you can make it their problem. You can send them away and tell them to go get something on their own. Like, you know, so it goes from the disciples' problem to Jesus' problem to their problem. So they think they've come up with a solution. But Jesus challenges them to take ownership. He says this. He says, you feed them. With what? They asked. Then they, just in case he wasn't aware, they say, we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. The disciples look at this as an impossible challenge. This is more than they can imagine. It's a huge cost. There's no way they can do this. So Jesus wants to kickstart the solution. And so he then says to them, how much bread do you have? Go and find out. So he wants them to, you know, take inventory. I want you to see what you've got. And so they come back and they say, well, we found. I'm going to drop one of these, and it's okay, folks, if I do. I told you. I told you I knew it was going to happen. So they find five loaves and two fish. All right, Jesus, what are you going to do? We did what you said. We took inventory. We found five loaves and two fish. We found somebody's lunch, Jesus. We told you this problem is too big. It's going to cost too much. This little bit that we have to offer can't make a difference. It's only a handful of bread and two fish. So there's more to the Nick story. So uh, Nick the tuna man, after I challenged everyone to bring one can, I said, hey, we're going to bring one can. I was this faith-filled youth pastor. I said, we could have 100 cans. A middle school student raised his hand. It was a boy. He raised his hand and uh, he said, can we bring more than one can? And I smiled and laughed. And I was like, yeah, it's homelessness in Philadelphia, but yeah, you can bring more. Go ahead. You do that. Sure. What I didn't know, that in that, on that Sunday evening in 1991, that question would launch a passion that would become contagious in our youth ministry. Tuna started showing up every day. 
cans and cans and cans, and not just on Sunday. Hundreds and hundreds of cans of tuna were showing up. It was catastrophic success. We had a youth building that was across the street from the church, and that my office was there. And every morning I would show up, and on the door on the porch were bags of tuna and stacks and cans and uh, cans stack of tuna. It became tuna central. We had to build shelves in the youth room where we were putting the cans of tuna all in one month time. Uh, we had um, uh, families who began buying tuna for us. Uh, we had families sharing with each other when there was tuna on sale. And then I found out there were some kids who got permission from a local grocery store, and they were standing out in front. And they were talking to the customers as they went in, and they said, hey, we're collecting cans of tuna. Uh, if you could buy some, it's on sale. And if you could then donate it on your way out. Hundreds and hundreds of cans of tuna were showing up. So then after we gave our cans of tuna to Nick, he showed up a month later and, and uh, we, you know, I'm, I'm real excited. These guys took over. They were passionate. They caught on. They saw the need. But it got worse. They started, they started asking questions and then one of them said, hey, could we go with you and feed the men and women in Philly? I'm like, all right, this wasn't part of the plan. But, and Nick says, yeah, sure, of course, because you got to come to my house. you got to make it. And so every Saturday, a group of students, different students would show up, and they'd open cans in his kitchen, and they'd mix the cans in the kitchen, and then they'd lay out the bread in the dining room, and they'd scoop, uh, scoop it out, and they'd put the lids on each of the sandwiches and put them in bags, and they'd load them up. And then under Nick's direction, these students in middle school and high school, without their parents, were going into Philadelphia and going under bridges, and they were passing out sandwiches to people in need. And I'm like, what have I started? What has happened? And then one high school kid, I'm, I'm not, I kid you not, there's tape of it somewhere. I don't know where. One high school kid called local news station. And he said, hey, you need to know about this story. We're passing out sandwiches to homeless people. And so they called us and said, hey, we want to meet you and Nick. And I'm like, I have nothing to do with this. All right. I just wanted to collect cans of tuna right? What's going on? What's happening? Like, I just started this ministry, uh, the youth ministry. I'm going to get in trouble if we keep doing this, you know? Like, kids are going into Philly, right? And they're, and they're, they're, they're going under bridges, and I'm going to be, I'm in trouble. I don't want to be on the news. <laughs> but I was interviewed, and students were filmed, and they were interviewed while handing out tuna sandwiches. And then one student said this. It was, um, I think it was ABC, he says, we want to end homelessness in Philly. I'm like, are you kidding me? We're just collecting cans. We're not ending homelessness. What has happened here? And tuna kept arriving. And students kept going with Nick into Philly. I was the youth pastor of that church for only three years. That ministry continued for years after me. Because one student raised his hand and said, hey, can we bring more than one can? So I'm a Twitter follower. It's my, it's my thing. I don't, I don't like Facebook. 
I, mean, I just turn my Facebook off. I turn it off on occasion. I don't follow any other social media. I don't do Instagram. I don't do TikTok, although I think I could. Um, <laughs> my, my children would hate it if I did TikTok. Uh, but I do Twitter, right? I, li I like Twitter. It's my thing. And a few weeks ago, uh, I was uh, scrolling through, and there was a trend, and it was this phrase, that thoughts and prayers are not enough. Do something. And it was in response to the recent gun violence in our world, the grocery store shootings, the church shootings, the horrific school shooting. And you know, every day since there's been more, every single day, there's been more violence. And so many lives, young and old, have been lost. And someone put it on Twitter at first in frustration. They were frustrated, they were exasperated, and they said, thoughts and prayers are not enough, do something. And now it's been echoed for weeks and weeks. Thoughts and prayers are not enough do something. And it's become a cry to do more in the face of the violence in our country, that we shouldn't only think and we shouldn't only pray, but we should do something. And so when I saw that, I had two thoughts, and I knew I was preparing this series. And the first is that, and that is the call. That is a call. That is the call to the church. That we, the church, we were made for this. That we were made as, as an organization, as an organism, as the body of Christ. We were made to do something. And that we know that there is something wrong with the world. That there's something broken with humanity. That there's war and violence and racism and fear and division and we feel left or we're left feeling hurt and we're left wondering and we're left angry and we know it's a complex problem, but we the church know that this complex problem and problems is all framed and all rooted in sin. And we the church, we know the problem that we know that every brokenness in this world is connected to sin, that we know that it infects all of humanity. And yes, it is complicated. And yes, the issues are numerous, but it is all framed and it is all rooted in sin. And so we know the problem. We're made for this. The church, the body of Christ, we know the problem. And my second thought was that we know the issues facing our world are the issues facing our neighborhoods and the challenges for our families, that the violence and the anger and the division and the hatred and, and the racism that, hear me out, we know that politics is not the answer. Now, good legislation helps, and you need to vote, but politics is not the answer. We know, as the church, we know that protests are not the answer. Yes, standing up for justice as Heather prayed is good and it is right, and we need to stand up to what is right. 
And there's a lot of injustice to stand up against. But politics and protesting is not the answer. Thoughts and prayers alone is not the answer. It's a good start. It's a good start to make sure that it's on our mind, it's there in front of us, and that we are praying for it and praying against it. But thoughts and prayers alone, it's not enough. See, here's my thought for this morning that I'm trying to unpack, and I'm struggling to get this in my, in my own head as well, that we, the church, we have the antidote. And it may seem like all we have is five loaves and a can of fish. And that's all we have. And it seems like there's thousands of problems out there to be solved. And all we've got is a handful of food. <laughs> but we know the problem is sin and the antidote is Jesus. This is our wheelhouse. We were made for this. I have never been more excited for the church than I am right now. Pastor Jeff and I talk about this often. I, and I know, you see, there's, when, there's, when, there's, when things are darkest, the light shines brightest. What an opportunity for the church. Now, maybe you think I'm making this too simple and that the problems and challenges of this world are too big, that it's more than a sin problem and it's more than a Jesus solution. And maybe it is bigger than feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And maybe ending homelessness in Philadelphia with cans of tuna fish is foolish. But what if you and I what if the church could have a bring more than one can kind of faith? What would happen to our world? What would happen to our neighborhoods and to our schools and to our families if we thought this would make a difference? I think it's possible it could change the world. So the story goes on, and this is the part that I find. My, it's my favorite part of the story. I'll share that with you. I jumped all around. I want to encourage you to read the story yourself. It's in all the Gospels. Uh, I'm reading from Mark chapter 6. It says, they all ate as much as they wanted. Now remember, this is the start. Right here. They all ate as much as they wanted. 5,000 men and women and children and 12 disciples and Jesus. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. Now, this miracle is unlike any other miracle. 
See, in other miracles, they were healing someone who was blind. Jesus was healing someone who was paralyzed, healing some, raising someone from the dead. This is what I would call a practical miracle, all right? No one's life is in jeopardy. There's really no human struggle. I mean, people are hungry, you know? Like, my kids complain about being hungry all the time. I complain about being hungry all the time. I mean, they were hungry. They would survive if they missed a meal. And so the miracle is that people were fed. Do you see how it's just so basic? It's just that they were fed. They were hungry, and they were fed. Yet this miracle is the only one that is found in all four Gospels. It's the only one. And it ends with an abundance, an overflow of bread. Twelve baskets left over. Someone took time to find baskets. Do you see how odd that is? They showed up with this. I dropped another one. They showed up with this. And then someone said, we should get baskets. Why? I don't know. I love that part of the story. They found baskets. They couldn't find food, but they could find baskets. Do you see how odd that is? It's so interesting. It's so unique. Someone took time to find baskets. Here's what I want you to hear. What started as not enough, thoughts and prayers are not enough. What started as not enough ended with more than enough. You see, our activity, even the smallest amount, even something that just seems like just a handful, it will go from not enough to more than enough. I have so many questions about this story. Where did they get the baskets? Like I said, why did Jesus multiply so much bread? Was he not good at counting? Like, did he not know? Like, why did he end up with this much left over? That seems like a waste. Or what did they do with the leftover bread? Did they go find more people? Why did they have 12 baskets? What were those disciples doing after this was all done? Remember, everybody's eaten, including the disciples, and now they're standing there awkwardly like this. Right? Do you see that? The, the, it's just so interesting. There's so many questions I have about this story. And you see, while thoughts and prayers are not enough, we, the church, we can be more than enough. And this is exactly why I am a pastor. Man, you have no idea how much I believe in the church. I say this, my mom's watching probably. Jesus saved my soul, but the church saved my life. I have no doubt about that. I was running and dri driving uh, in a way that I was, I was headed to hell as fast as I could get there. And the church saved my life. The church is the promise for this broken and torn up and divided world. And we know the problem is sin, and we have the antidote in his Jesus. And when we, the church, can see and do something, even something that seems so small and so insignificant, that there is potential for Jesus to multiply our efforts. 
So much so that we're left searching for baskets and trying to figure out how to collect the leftovers and figure out what we're going to do with the leftovers. Because if we start with our meager little effort, it ends with Jesus multiplying and overflowing. Not enough turns into more than enough. So I'm going to share with you uh, a one more can idea. And I know it's going to sound really simple. And you're going to be tempted to say, how will that solve the world's problems? When I say it out loud, I know you might scoff. There's no way. That's foolish. Or you may say, I've tried that. It didn't work. I want to suggest that as the people of God, that if thoughts and prayers are not enough and we should do something, one of the do somethings, one of these simple, I've got five loaves thing you can do is share Jesus with someone. Just talk about Jesus. Maybe invite them to church. Maybe share with them that Jesus saved my soul, but the church saved my life. And I know the problem seems so big, and you're thinking, Rick, that's, that's like offering five loaves for 5,000 people. That's foolish. I want you to know that in today's world, it has never gotten easier. When the world seems darkest, the light shines brightest. It's never been easier to attend. You can go in person or you can go online. We've got plenty of seats and we've got plenty of parking and you can turn on your TV. There is no geographic barriers. People from multiple states watch us every week. And now you don't even have a time barrier. You don't just have to watch on Sunday. You can watch anytime during the week on demand. It has never been easier. And I know you're saying, Rick, there are so many problems. The solution is a church invite? Yes. Because I believe five loaves with Jesus can feed 5,000 people and there'll be leftovers. I know you know this because you're here, and I know you know this because you're watching. We don't invite to have a bigger church. That's never been why I do it. It's not why Pastor Jeff does it. It's not why we do this. We don't invite to have a bigger church. We believe, I believe, and because you're here and because you're watching, I assume you believe that Jesus is worth it. And while it seems so simple, Jesus' forgiveness is real. Loving God and loving people is the best response to the world's brokenness. I have so much more to say. I don't even know what time it is. You know, there's so many more things in this story. You know, one person's generosity, even small, impacted thousands of lives. And I know you may be thinking, I can't do it. I've never done that before. I don't know how to invite. 
Hey, the same way you talk about a restaurant, the same way you talk about a movie, I just saw Top Gun Maverick. Oh my gosh, I loved it. It was exciting, it was thrilling, it was just fun to go. There you go. That's how you invite someone. Hey, I just came back from church. I know that sounds weird, but it was really fun. The guy threw bread around the platform. <laughs> I don't get it, but it made me laugh a little too. And Jesus changed my life. All I've got is five loaves. The problem's too big. Do you recognize the tension in the story? I, I skipped over this part. But when Jesus said, took the inventory, and they said, I have five loaves and two fish. And then after he said, five loaves and two fish, he said, okay, take those thousands of people and get them in the groups of 50 and 100. So now the disciples, they're the only ones that know they have five loaves and two fish. Now they go into the thousands of people and say, all right, get into groups of 50. And they say, why? And they have to say, we're going to feed you? What are we eating? Um, bread and fish. Do you see the tension? That's the same tension we feel when we say, I should really talk to my friend. Because their life is in trouble, and they know that, and I know that, and they need to hear about Jesus. And I don't know if anything's going to happen, but what if Jesus showed up? This can turn into that. I got more to say, but I'm, I have no idea what time it is. We're going to celebrate communion together. I thought it was appropriate that we'd use an overflowing basket. We're not going to use this bread, I promise. But the same way that Jesus has given grace to me and to you, it overflows into my life, and I give grace and share Jesus with others, and it goes from this meager supply of bread to this overflowing, and everyone is filled. So Jesus and his disciples, they were eating together on that night, and the night that he was betrayed, and he he was going to be arrested and crucified, and he told his followers how he was the plan to rescue humanity from sin. And so he took bread, it was just bread that was on the table, and he, he said, this bread represents my body and it's been broken for you. And he took a cup that was on the table as well, and he said, this cup represents my blood, that Jesus was broken and poured out for each of us. And so as we prepare to share in communion together, let's, we're going uh, to pray a prayer of confession. Will it be on the screen? There is not. I'm going to pray a prayer for us. Let's pray together. So Jesus, I thank you for the way that you have worked to provide the solution to the world's problem. God, that you rescued humanity from sin. And God, I pray that we would know that in our own hearts and lives. And God, that we would share that with others. God, thank you that your death on a cross killed our sin. And that your resurrection gives us new life. And so God, we remember that as we commune together. As we take this bread and juice and be reminded of your sacrifice for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
You know, at Hope, we believe communion is open to anyone who would like to participate. The only requirement is a desire to follow Jesus in your life and in your action. If you're worshiping online, you can gather your items. Uh, you want to, might want to get bread or crackers or juice and water. And if you're worshiping in person, uh, you'll stay in your seats till the ushers invite you to come forward. And when you come forward, you'll be handed a prepackaged cup that has a wafer in the top and juice uh, as well. And you'll take it back to your seat, and then you can open it at your seat. And both in person and online, please watch the screens. There's going to be a, a challenging video that while we remember uh, uh, and commune together. So if you're online, you can receive your elements now. And if you're in person, the ushers will invite you to come forward. So let's take and eat and remember Jesus is your sacrifice, that he is the antidote to the problem of sin in the world and in your life and in uh, my life as well. And there's a gluten-free station I forgot to mention for those of you in person at the far right.